So I have been absolutely terrible and have not acknowledged existing patrons that are on our Patreon. So first we have Vivian, and she's been riding with us hard for six months. Vivian is chapter 27 of the Black Women Travel podcast, and she's so lovely for never complaining about me not delivering what I'm supposed to deliver at the level that she's been contributing for because, again, terrible. So I'm very sorry, Vivian, and thank you so much for still supporting, even though I have not held up my end. The same goes for our next patron, Harrison Stanley. Thank you so very much, Harrison. And then we have Feji also. Feji's chapter 11. She just came on recently, like a couple months ago. Thank you so very much, Feji. And the newest one is Catherine Sullivan. Thank you so, so very much. And if you are wanting to contribute monthly, join these folks. And I talk more about that later on in the episode. So I wanted to take some time, first and foremost, first and foremost, to thank these four patrons for contributing financially to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it was my journey, (laughs) and I was happy to be on it. I was happy to be out of America. I was happy to have... I was happy to have taken the steps that I needed to get where I wanted to go, even if I wasn't sure exactly where that place was. And it was all mine. And they were my mistakes to make and they were my successes. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Hey girl, hey, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. My name is Wanda and this is my episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you've been listening for this last year, um, any of the 52 episodes that have aired, I'm so grateful to be in community with you. And I hope that you saw yourself in these women. I hope you saw yourself in their beginnings in their travel journeys and in their healing. Um, I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do together, every single guest and I. So 
now about me. <laughs> it's my turn. So I hope to be as transparent and vulnerable and open as each and every one of my guests has been. So here we go. Uh, my name is Wanda. I'm from Marion, Illinois. I'm currently in Penang, Malaysia, and the name of my business is, is, is um, one you're listening to, the Black Women Travel Podcast. It's not really a business, but whatever. Um, I'm also working on the International Black Women Travel Jubilee, which is a travel conference for content creators and digital nomads. And I'm working on a creative services agency where some women in my Facebook group the Facebook group is called Black Women Digital Nomad Entrepreneurs. We are figuring out ways to support ourselves while we travel on our own terms. Um, and of course, that can mean anything, whether you're a short-term traveler or a long-term traveler. So the Creative Services Agency um, focuses on social media management and coaching. So right now we're in the phase where we're pitching companies and trying to get clients so that all the ladies who have expressed some interest uh, get some work. So, yeah. Um, and I absolutely hope. So, like, this is a job. <laughs> because something that I noticed in the group is that while we want to be entrepreneurs, black women face a little special something uh, called systemic racism and that has impacted our ability to stand on our own two feet a lot of times. And so this is an effort to help us to be able to pay our bills while we are working on our own stuff. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. That is a very recent development. So I don't know where you fit in, but uh, we absolutely invite you to join us at whatever level you're on. Uh, if you just want to be a listener on the podcast, that's beautiful. If you want to come to the conference, you know, I got to work that part out. Um, and if you want to lend your skills and get paid for it, this is not volunteer stuff. These are paid jobs. Uh, just reach out and we'd love to have you join the team. So, again, about me, you, I guess you can see this is an issue. <laughs> um, I was born a little black girl in southern Illinois. And I don't remember a lot from my childhood. I do remember us taking road trips, but they were for religious reasons. Like there were conferences that we would go to twice a year. So we would go to St. Louis for one, and then I don't remember where we'd go for the other one. I think the other one changed like every year. So that was just twice a year, um, a little road trip where we got to stay in a hotel as a family. It was just me and my two older brothers. So I am the 10th of 10 children. <laughs> my mother, out of her womb, had 10 of us, and I was the last sweet little drop to come out of that. Um, I always like to say that, you know, she kept going till she got it right. <laughs> uh, which is apparent because my brothers and sisters are trapped. No, I can't say that because everybody's at their place in their journey. If you are my friend on Facebook, you saw a very loud 
um, family thing that went down. So this is what happens when you travel. You'll just be like somewhere minding your own business and you'll just have this revelation. So regarding my family, like I was sitting in Thailand in Chiang Mai and I was like, my mother was emotionally unavailable and I had never labeled her as that. My mother has passed. I had never labeled her as that. I never had the language to say that about her. But that was my experience of her, is that she took care of the basics, but she did not give me herself. She didn't share her story with me. I don't know what she went through to be who she was. I knew nothing about my mother. I don't even know the city she was born in. Like, I'd have to go, like, look that up. Um... And so then, like, what happened on Facebook, again, I was minding my own business, sitting here during the pandemic, watching John Wick for the 3,732nd time. And I was like, you know what? Um, Those motherfuckers never appreciated me. Imagine having a whole Wanda in your life and not loving her out loud. And so, like, I realized, like, if my mother was emotionally unavailable, a lot of my siblings may have learned that as well. I've always been like a gatherer. So when I was old enough to be aware that we weren't a solid familial unit or whatever, I had already moved away to Atlanta from Southern Illinois and from Marion, Illinois. And so, like, I would go back. And like try to have what I called family fun day. (laughs) So I would make up a song called family fun day. And I would like, I was working at CNN. So I had a little bit of change. I would like take people to take us all to the movie theaters. So we'd be like two rows strong because nine siblings, all of them didn't live in Illinois. But uh, I don't remember how many were there, but, you know, procreation. So I had like mad nieces and nephews from the gate. Um, I consider them more like little brothers and sisters than like being an aunt because they're that close in age. I think the youngest is maybe seven years younger than me. Anyway, family fun day and like trying to bring bring them all together and like have a bonfire and do s'mores and, you know, just like <laughs> just trying to spend some QT with my QTs. That's what I thought anyway. Um So I'm sitting here in Penang and I'm just like, first of all, y'all, y'all weren't emotionally available at any point in your adult lives. My older brothers and sisters, all of you. Um, And on top of that, I assumed a lot of the responsibility as the person who could see to try and remedy, to try and fix um, even like trying to have conversations with my nieces and nephews about my brothers and sisters, there's just like a lot of shatteredness, a lot of fragmentation that I see happening there that no one is looking into, no one is trying to fix. And I can see so clearly how it has impacted my nieces and nephews. And like at one point when I was in Atlanta working my little corporate gig like I wanted to take my sister's kids that never happened because I left um so yeah 
that was that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of my childhood. That's kind of my family situation. Um, so I'm in Atlanta and doing the things that one does in Atlanta, going to open mics and poetry stuff and going to the museum, um, going to see Alvin Ailey, which was amazing. I love dance. I was taking dance classes for the first time in my life. I didn't take those as a child. I was just exploring everything. So my degree is in radio TV production, but I didn't go to Atlanta specifically for CNN. Um, I just had like an opportunity there and I started working with a nonprofit. The reason I wanted to leave in the first place was because I had all these people around me saying that they love me and I could not feel that love. So there's again that emotional disconnect. So I, I, I pack up my little Toyota Camry <laughs> and I go down to Atlanta. I'm working at CNN, everything's doing what it does. And my mom and my sister transition a week from each other. It's six days specifically from each other. I can't remember exactly what happened, like the way things were happening, but I remember taking some time off and was like, okay, I'm gonna come visit. So like I go back to Illinois and I'm with my mom and like I just kind of see how bad things are. She's in hospice. I thought hospice was a good thing. I had no idea that it was just basically waiting for the person to pass. Um, so I just kind of saw like she was on painkillers. She was on morphine and just saw kind of like her final days, which I didn't know were her final days. And then my sister lived in Indianapolis. So I go up to Indianapolis or over to Indianapolis to visit with her. She is on hospice as well. So then I go back to my mom. And while I'm back at my mom's place, my sister passes. So, like, we don't tell my mom, and I don't know if she ever knew. Um, so then we go back to Indianapolis, and we have uh, my sister's funeral. And then I think I just went back to Atlanta from there, or I must have gone back to my mom's place. Um, so I go back to Atlanta, and... You know, my sister has passed. And then I get a call shortly after I get back that my mother has passed. And I can't get a hold of my supervisor, so, like, I go to work the next day <laughs> like a crazy person. And the person that I work with was like, what are you doing here? I was like, I couldn't get a hold of our supervisor. She's like, go home. So I go home. And I was taking dance classes at the time. I just like didn't know what to do with myself. I went to dance class and of course couldn't dance. I guess I just like didn't have any reference for grieving. I don't know. I didn't, I guess I just didn't have anyone to grieve with. So I just like, <laughs> I just like did what I was already doing. I went to work, I went to dance class. So that happened and I took some time off from work and then I go back to work and things are terrible. Like I'm not really able to focus and 
things are kind of bad. And I wrote about that too um, recently. That was a big processing moment of just how horrible that experience was. Being at work, I'm used to being a top performer or whatever. I'm used to being good at my job. I take pride in doing what I do well. And I was just not able to be that person anymore uh, at work. And that doesn't work for them. There were adjustments that they could have made and they did not, specifically my supervisor. She was also new to the gig, um, recently promoted. But yeah, so like that was a lot of trauma um, and learning just how much of a cog in the wheel I was and not having any of these so-called friends be there for me in a meaningful way um, when that is not how I thought about them because that's the type of person that I am. I know you, I love you, I put you in my heart. So that was something that I processed recently, like fully. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was all pretty much a big adventure from there. I quit. I put in my two weeks while I was on vacation and I moved to El Salvador. I was doing some volunteer work there, got fired from a volunteer job, which was amazing. I was illegally teaching yoga. I was not certified and I was doing like donation classes. Yeah, uh, meeting people, making all the mistakes, figuring stuff out, living life and doing stuff in El Salvador, <laughs> it was an experience. Like, I, it was what it was. I got to house it a little bit. Um, and then my best friend at the time, uh, we had taken a trip to Jamaica, and we came back to the States, and we were crying about why we came back to the States. So Jamaica had, like, been a part of my heart. And so I was like, if I'm going to tough it out, if I'm going to figure out my life, I don't want to do it in El Salvador. I'd rather do it in Jamaica. So after six months of being in El Salvador, I went to Jamaica and I spent three months there and I got married. <laughs> Again, making all the mistakes. So your girl is in Jamaica doing all the Jamaica things. Um, in El Salvador, I had explored singing as well as the yoga. So I got to perform with a band there. And uh, in Jamaica, I did the same, pursuing some music stuff. So I did the background vocals for an album for this French dude that I met there at Bob Marley Studio, which was really, really dope. The studio had like wood ceilings and like there were cigarette burns <laughs> on some of the instruments. Well, I say cigarette but whatever. <laughs> so that was a really, really dope experience. And then I was starting to get into some live music stuff. I was also teaching yoga there. But yeah, it got to the point where I had enough money to extend my visa or pay for the change flight fee to get back to Atlanta. And I buckled <laughs> your girl was slipping and I caved into fear and partly because that man was in my ear. Um, I had a condo still and it was about to be foreclosed on because I couldn't find a renter for it. 
the whole time I was away, pretty much, there was somebody in there at one point. I don't really remember, but I don't even think they were paying the full mortgage amount. So, yeah, I listened I listened to the fears of my partner at that time and the fears in myself. And I went back to Atlanta, didn't save the condo. So, yeah. And then racked up some more workplace trauma (laughs) working at Starbucks. And I worked at um, State Farm and I worked at this horrible call center that serviced Louisiana, Mississippi, Eastern Texas and somewhere else I can't really remember. Um, but it was a, for a power company. And that was just hell because it was like black people who often were calling in for like payment arrangements and like couldn't pay their bills. And my empathetic heart just really can't deal with that. And I was taking like escalated phone calls at one point. It, would, it was just bad. So workplace trauma. State Farm wasn't really that bad. Because when I was working at State Farm, I was leaving. (laughs) So I was there and I was like super depressed. And I was like, who am I? What am I doing? Should I be here? Should I not be here? Let me try and stay here. Because that whole marriage thing didn't. It lasted on paper longer than it lasted in real life, like emotionally. He and I were not built for that. And no shade to him. I believe still that he's a very lovely person. Uh, We went through the whole visa process. They didn't believe our relationship was real. And so there was like all this junk around that. Um, Him going to apply for a visa and like not being able to get it. And then at one point it being like this isn't going to work. Not only because he couldn't get the visa, but also because we weren't built for long distance uh, relationship, like emotionally. So, yeah, <laughs> everything. So Atlanta, Atlanta was cute. Atlanta was cute, but it was just like kind of where everything happened. That's where a lot of my growing happened. You know, I had my condo and that got foreclosed on. I had my marriage and my divorce, my mom and my sister passing away. Um, My not being able to forge meaningful relationships there. Um, And even the, the few people that I was able to be close with, like they never understood what I was doing. So uh, at, at one point in Atlanta, I was just like trying to keep myself entertained. So I started like this music thing that I did where I produced live music shows. So I was like, music is where it's at because it's always where it's been for me. And I liked creating opportunities for people to shine. That's just also kind of been a theme in my life. So I hustled up these young, talented folks that played instruments and produced a weekly show. It was called A Very Indie Show. And I was really proud of that and like had it at a couple different venues. It wasn't a money-making thing. It never was, but it was just something I enjoyed doing. Um, And then I got into some technology stuff. You know, there's Georgia Tech there and I would volunteer with an event. It was called Startup Weekend. I don't think it's called that anymore, but uh, you had people who had an idea 
people who had technical skills, and then graphic designers um, all come together over a weekend. So the idea people would pitch, and they would try to get a team to create their idea over a weekend. Um, and I started doing that same event, but specifically for music uh, for the music industry, so trying to create music technology. So my little company was called Stage Huddle, and it was an app that was in the iTunes store. And basically, a musician could log in with their Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and it would map out for them where their fans and followers were, because a lot of times musicians don't have access to data they don't know where the people are. And so they go to these big hubs or whatever where there's a lot of live music and they think that perhaps they can connect with their audience there. But this would have given them more data to be able to go where the people actually were, um, pulling the location from the profiles that followed them or like their page or whatever. So I am not a coder. <laughs> and I was not able to successfully get a coder even after having the app built uh, and, you know, the APIs, the technology for those applications, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook change often. And so I didn't have anybody to update the app. I even tried to go web-based and I just basically like had a lot of money ripped off from me for people that I paid to do work that they never delivered. Men. But we don't center them in the show. <laughs> So, yeah, those are the things I was doing, trying to keep myself busy. I had my little job at State Farm, and I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. So I just started focusing on getting all my coins together aggressively and pouring over Amazon reviews about stuff that I should wear and doing all this research from all these bloggers and vloggers and whatever, uh, trying to just get as much information as I could. And then I was able to get the hookup on a buddy pass and I was trying to start in Tokyo <laughs> and it's winter. So this is probably like the worst. I, I wanted to start in Asia. And so it was like around Christmas, I was trying to leave. And the way the buddy pass works is you get like a discount. I think you just pay like the taxes and like whatever airport fees I think it is, but it's contingent on the fullness of the plane. So if there's a seat available, it's all you. Um, and they were doing something called payload at the time. I think that's what it's called, but it's basically like it was more profitable for them to carry stuff than people. So based off the weight of the plane, that's what they were doing. So I don't even remember how many times I went to the airport. I even slept at the airport one night just trying to like get out of the country. So finally, I was just to the point where I was like, well, girl, where can I go? So it was Delta. So I went to the Delta help desk and it was like, London is wide open. And I was like, sign me the fuck up. So your girl was in business class or whatever class it is, because I think there's three. But I was in the one where the seat reclined and I got the comfy pillow and blanket and I had me a little um little champagne and it was New Year's Eve and I remember asking for the champagne and I didn't give a fuck what time or whatever and the girl and the stewardess she was like oh I guess it is New Year's Eve 
And it was just like, I, hey, I'm celebrating regardless. <laughs> so I arrive at London fully buzzed, no plans. I had zero plans. I didn't have anything booked. I had nothing but my backpack. So yeah, that's how my nomad journey started. Buzzed in London. So I got to the airport, cracked open the old laptop, used some points from a credit card that I'd been stockpiling before I left, booked me a hotel. I had signed up for trusted house sitters. So I started sending out house sit requests and got like a, it was a two or three month stay outside of London with three very terrible Labradors, cute, but terrible, food obsessed and just naughty would like run off if they're off the lead. And it was cold as fuck. And I was not packed for cold. I was packed for temporary cold, but not like live in the cold. But it was my journey (laughs) and I was happy to be on it. I was happy to be out of America. I was happy to have I was happy to have taken the steps that I needed to get where I wanted to go, even if I wasn't sure exactly where that place was. And it was all mine and they were my mistakes to make and they were my successes. And I just started working on stuff. I started figuring out how to work WordPress. I even played with coding at one point, HTML. I don't think I did Python. What did I do? Ruby. Uh, Not Ruby, Ruby on Rails. Yeah, I was just playing around, living off savings, doing house sits. I went to England, Ireland, Italy, France, and Spain, all through house sits. And in between house sits, I would get an Airbnb, or if it was short, like I would stay in a hostel or something. But I was living it up. I had a really good time in Europe, surprisingly. And then I went to Vietnam, which was awful. And I developed anxiety there. I've never been an anxious person. I've never really, like, (laughs) situationally, I care, right? Everybody's situational when it comes to stuff. I've never walked around in my body and been, like, extremely conscious of it. And there became extremely conscious of it and how people felt comfortable approaching me. Vietnamese people or how they felt comfortable laughing out loud, like open mouth cackling at me in groups in front of my face or like being in the grocery store and somebody would just walk up and like touch my locks, like stuff like that. So I became anxious there, which was not cute. And then I I wanted community and maybe, maybe it was because I was anxious there. I wanted community. There were There was like one black woman. There was a couple and he was gross because, but I don't remember there being a whole lot of black people there. Uh, It was, I would, first I was in Saigon for three months. So there were some black people there and that was not the move. I had the worst landlord of my entire life. And I decided to move to the beach because that's where my heart is. So I went to Da Nang and I was there for six months. I had a year visa. At the time, you had to get a year visa. And I'm not one to waste things. So even though I hated it there, 
I wanted to just be still and like work on my business, whatever that business was. And at the time I was focusing on my coaching. So yeah, I was in Da Nang. There weren't, I don't remember there being a whole lot of black folks. There was a group in Saigon, but they weren't active and they didn't get together. I started one in in Da Nang, but I, like I said, I didn't, there was just that one black couple. And I never even got to meet the wife, I don't think. She never came out, which I don't blame her. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just trying to stay still. I was trying to save money and stay still and get my stuff out. I toyed around with like doing some live music there as well and ended up going to Chiang Mai. So I'm in Chiang Mai. Your girl is not feeling it. Um, there's the visa thing where it's like, you know, you get a visa for two months and then you got to do a border run and extensions and like all this other stuff. And it's just like they don't want you here, <laughs> which is fine because that's your country. And aside from that, I didn't have any local friends. I didn't have local friends in Vietnam either. And that's important to me. A lot of people travel and they just kind of live on top of the society. It's just like, oh, the food is so good and it's cheap here. And like, I don't know. Oh, it's so pretty. Whatever. Usually it's because it's cheap. But like, that's not really my vibe. Like, I want to feel connected in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> so like, it was just not for me. And the black people I met there, not my type of black people, not the ones I met. Like I met a few passing through, but the black people who were like staying there, no, not really my vibe. Um, some of them were like teachers and there was that whole healing house thing and I did not feel healed, but I did meet Phyllis there, our Oracle. So that was lovely and wonderful. But the dudes that were running healing house, they were perpetuating more foolishness. I just, it wasn't me. So I left there. A couple that I met, a Filipino couple, were like, go to Penang. And boy, did I. And LOL sob. <laughs> I came to Penang and I was in for a whirlwind experience. The thing I love about Penang is that I am able to have local friends. Um... So, like, I, I do actually remember in Vietnam, I tried to go to a couch surfing meeting because couch surfing is that community where there's a representation usually everywhere and you don't have to stay with a host wherever you are, but they'll usually have meetings. So I did attend a meeting in Vietnam and it was just weird. Somebody was trying to tell me America and they had never stepped foot in America. It was like that kind of vibe. Um, but in Penang... I just found the Malaysians to be like really witty and funny and like open and yeah, they were just like down to get together and they got together every single week. So every Friday they would meet at like a different cafe and just like meet with whatever foreigners were in town. Of course it got old after a while cause it's like new faces. And then the locals you could see were just there for the thrill of either being with each other or like meeting new people, not like a foreigner who was hanging around long-term. <laughs> um, but it was good while it lasted. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, I did not like the Indians who thought I was a sex worker. They can still go fuck themselves. Um, and they were disgusting, like, ew. 
which made me feel some type of way for sex workers having to entertain such disgustingness. Um, you deserve better girls, but get your money. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, I kind of fell in love, I guess. <laughs> so for everybody wondering why the fuck I'm still here, that's why your girl is booed up. Your girl is booed up. Your girl is booed. I met a man. I had to go through about 37 Nigerians to get to him. He's not Nigerian. There's something about Nigerian men. Ew. Woo, ew. Ugh. But he's from Senegal, and he had some of his own stuff, but we've worked that out. And I had some of my stuff, and we worked that out. Uh, he is one of the most kind people I've ever met in my entire life. And I had to go through a lot because I was like, am I reliving Jamaica? And I don't think I am this time, which is amazing because yay for growth. But he is just like, I feel like I can be my whole self with him. And he wants me to be happy. And he asks me all the time, like, is the food good? Are you satisfied? Are you happy? All the time. And he tells me that I'm beautiful. And I've picked up some weight. And he doesn't understand why I care that I've picked up weight. Like it's never occurred to him. He's just like really supportive. He's not in the weeds supportive. He like probably has never listened to this podcast. <laughs> he probably never will, which is fine. But he asks me like how it's going and stuff like that. And I've literally never had a person in my life like that. Like, literally, I've never been able to live up close with someone in my life like I'm able to live up close with him. I don't hide much in my face, um, but he even sees beyond that to know if anything has, like, turned me off or disturbed me, and he wants to talk about it. And he is equally as open. Like, I'm able to ask him whatever I want to ask him about anything talk to him about anything and it's just refreshing so that's why I'm here in case you're wondering he's a footballer and he has his challenges because he doesn't have a contract right now so yeah we're just like figuring out what's next what we're gonna do next in our lives together so here we are present day. So a lot of you have questions about like what I do and all that kind of stuff. And I want to get to your questions. I asked you all across social media uh, what it was you wanted to know about me. So I'll get into those questions. So Vivian, the VO guide says, um, I want to know everything. <laughs> Seriously, I want to know what drew you to create a platform sharing stories of women who prioritize travel. Why is this so important to you? I wanted to create these stories because when I was looking for them, I couldn't find them. Even with the Nomad group. Yeah. And clearly a lot has changed in the last four years because seriously, I couldn't I couldn't find any black women that were talking about travel. 
the only one that I could find was Glow at the time and maybe Onika. But like, I feel like at the time, those weren't the resources that I was going to in order to understand how to travel, how to, su- how to sustain myself in travel. So that's why it's so important to me is because I want women who want to include travel in their lives in whatever capacity to see that it's possible, no matter where you're from, to make it happen. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, next we have Effia. She says, what struggles have you found in creating the podcast? Starting the podcast was like a bit of a thing. Um, so, but that was a personal struggle because of the coaching. So I have this thing where it's just like, I have an idea of how people receive me. And I started to think of myself differently because of how I think people perceive me. So what that means is that I was trying to be a life coach. You know, I have my certification, my training, and then I go out and I try to get clients. And I was not seeing that people were that people were receptive to what I was saying. So I started to think about myself like, oh, like I'm not light enough or I'm not thin enough or my personality is too brash, like I'm not enough. And so that really hurt my being able to do anything, (laughs) of course, right? It's like if you have a, if you're not confident about stepping forward, then you're not able to show up. You're not able to fully commit and be yourself. And I still have some of that. Like I've been told that I'm intimidating and I just see how people kind of shrink and I see that people don't really know how to engage or I don't know, or that they don't engage. Cause it's easy to see on social media, like when someone posts a question, how people run to talk to them and people don't do that with me and they never have. And I think it has everything to do with who I am. And so creating the podcast, it was just going to be another attempt because I've tried so many things, right? I've tried a lot of things when it comes to trying to express myself and create something and see who shows up for that. That that was the challenge. That was the challenge in creating the podcast was like, am I going to create another flop? Am I going to fail again? Am I going to be rejected again? So that was big. So then my mind was doing the mental Olympics around, well, what are the logistics? And, you know, playing that game when it's fairly straightforward to, like, figure out the how. But I was not giving myself permission to put myself out there again and be vulnerable like that um, again. (sighs) There's a mosquito that has found its way into my sanctuary and I'm ready to fight. Oh my goodness. Today has just been a day. There are the motorbikes, there's this Indian family across the way with these kids running up and down the damn hallways, which usually I don't care because I'm busy and I have music. And then there's now a mosquito, which never happens. I'm just, it's just, 
and it's hot. I'm under a blanket, surrounded by pillows, trying to give you guys quality sound, which I'm not always able to do. Don't think I haven't noticed. (laughs) That's also been a struggle in the podcast is sound quality. Uh, Like I said, my degrees in radio TV production, I know sometimes it sounds like shit. I don't apologize for it. And I still put those shows out because (laughs) this is what we have, y'all. This is what we have. So that, hi, Effia, back to you. (laughs) So that was a struggle in creating the podcast. So I will say this, while I am an advocate for showing up fully as yourself. I also wholeheartedly know what it's like to feel as though that person is not acceptable, as though that person is not enough, as though that person is too much, in fact, because I do have such a big personality and a big old laugh and a giant body. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know if it's it's not giant. Okay, wait, 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 I'll take that part out. (laughs) But I do know what it is to show up and feel as though you're not accepted or that you're really different or that you care too much. That's another thing. It's like, why do I care so much? I have no idea why I care so much, but I just do. And that's just me. So I've had to accept that. And so showing up for this podcast and like sitting with these women who think they're coming for a travel show and like, it's absolutely bigger than that is difficult for me. At times, I am risking a lot in saying the quiet parts out loud to other people who I don't know and who don't know me and they don't know my real intentions. So it's difficult for sure, but I walk in it because I don't know any other way. I very much feel appreciated at a distance, maybe is what it is. Appreciate it at a distance. Like, oh, it's really cool these things that you're doing, but you're far too intense for me. So these are the words that kind of come up. You know, I'm intimidating. I'm intense. I have like peace and love, but I also have like a machine gun. I'm too pointed. Again, saying the quiet parts out loud. So it is. It's difficult for me, but I do it anyway. I do it anyway because it's what I need to do for me. Because I have to let myself know that regardless of who I am and because of who I am, I need to show up for myself. I do it for myself first and foremost. I need to let myself know that I accept myself and all my loudness and all my saying the quiet parts out loud and the not tolerating small talk and, you know, all of that stuff, whatever it is, and my accents and my proper English and my raggedy African-American vernacular. (laughs) Um and my singing, and my talking out loud to myself. And yeah, I, I have to let myself know that I accept myself because I live inside this thing, this husk. <laughs> this spirit lives inside this body and we're alive and awake every moment of every day. And I just have tried not 
So there was a long time where I didn't say anything and I wasn't showing up and I wasn't sharing pictures of myself or of my travel. I don't really take a lot of pictures of myself. That's mostly why I don't share pictures of myself. Um, but I was silenced because there's just been this story of me being too much. I've always been too loud. I've always had a larger body. I've always had a bigger personality. I've always wanted to talk about things people didn't want to talk about until it was time to talk about it. And then it seemed like I was the person they wanted to talk to about it. But then like nobody wanted to pay me to talk about those things. So it's all just like this circular thing. And I don't have anything figured out, but I'm willing to share what I haven't figured out and what I ha I have figured out or what's working at the moment. I'm willing to share all of that out loud. Um, and again, the motivation comes from not having it, not having a space for someone like me, wanting to provide that space for others, even though, I don't know, I've never really met anybody like me. But then again, I've never really met anybody like you either. That's why it's so dope that every single woman has a different story. Every woman has a different angle. We are so very extremely different. And it's magnificent, and I love talking about that. So, yeah. I guess I just wanted you to know that even being myself and even, I guess you could say, spearheading or, like, trying to take the lead or even taking the lead in the initiatives that are important to me, it is... It is difficult for me to do that because there there has been so much rejection. There has been so much silence, essentially. Like every now and then I'll get a little something. <laughs> but I, I can't do it for that because if I did it for that, then I'd probably quit. <laughs> so I do it for myself. I show up for myself. I proved to myself that I can create and someone somewhere is going to like it. And maybe it's because like now I have access to analytics. So like I see how many people are watching. So like I see how many people are listening to the show and I see those numbers change. And while I don't know those people specifically, I have an idea that they exist. So that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I just wanted to say that. Um, where do I want it to go in the future? Where don't I want it to go? I want us to have a Black Women Travel magazine. I want us to have a Black Women Travel television show. I want this thing to go wide because everybody doesn't read. Everybody doesn't listen. Everybody doesn't watch. So I want to be able to reach women, how they consume, what they consume. Still, Effia, do you have a dream guest? Have you contacted them to be on the show? Every guest is a dream guest. I'm very much against pedestaling in life in general. Putting people on a pedestal and thinking that they have something that you can't get harms all of us. I think that Every single woman has a story, and I'd love to be able to make space for that, but the reality is is that 
we are not all doing the same thing. And that's something I've had to be clear about. I'm about community. I'm about access. And not everyone that approaches me wanting a show is about that. Some women just want more ways to tell their own story, more avenues to talk about themselves. And they're not interested in other people. So when they approach me for a show, it's funny because it's just like you haven't listened. You don't get it, (laughs) which is fine. But like, no, I'm not doing that labor for any and everybody Um, just because I don't have the space to. Not that they don't have a story, not that their journey or their God damn. All right. Sorry. I'm apologizing to myself while I have to edit this part out. (laughs) Um, Not that those ladies don't have a valid story or journey or whatever it is. They absolutely do. Uh, But that I don't think this is the home for it. So I've had to become clear about that. So, yeah. How do I choose guests? It's just a vibe thing. So I first approached women in my digital nomad entrepreneur group. So I message every single woman in that group that joins, every single one. A lot of times I just go to message requests and the ones that do see my message and do take the time to respond, I just kind of get a vibe from them. Do they have time to talk to me? Do they have interest in talking to me? So that's how I chose a lot of the first guests was from messaging uh, people in that group. And then I went to Twitter and I just like the whole vibe because again, it's that community thing. You have someone like, oh, I'm looking for such and such. Like, what do you guys suggest? They would suggest themselves, but they would also suggest 10 of their homegirls. And I really enjoyed that vibe. And then I went to Instagram and you know me and Instagram, we ain't real, we ain't real friends like that. Butterumba, also guests. So a woman that I've had on the show, like she may want to introduce me to somebody else who might be a good fit for the show. So like that. Uh, My day job is social media management, but I've done a lot of bit of everything to keep myself afloat. I've done some English teaching for like a couple of weeks in person. I've done English consulting at a school. I've uh, taught singing. I taught singing for like almost a year. So I would go to a location and like teach in person to individuals and groups. I've written blogs. I've, you know, whatever's going to pay the bills, honey, to keep me in these streets. But right now my social, my, my social, (laughs) but right now my day job is social media management. Why did I choose to focus specifically on women? Because women are the best. Listen, ooh, I'm about to get into it. In a sentiment, we're just the best, honestly. In my experience, I have not found men to be as vulnerable, as aware, as committed to change, any of that. From the men that I meet, they're still very much steeped in patriarchy. They're still very much enjoying their privileges So that's why I focus on women, because I care about my mental health. What have you learned from the podcast? (laughs) What have I learned from the podcast? I have learned. What have I learned from the podcast? Um, What have I learned from the podcast? 
I've learned, I guess I've learned about myself mostly. I've learned about my ability to commit. I've learned about my, my gift, which I suppose I didn't really know before. Okay, so this is also like a thing. So with the coaching thing, I was like, people tell me their stuff all the time. So why not get paid for it? And why not get better at how to respond, how to hold space, and get paid for it? So I thought it was a no-brainer. But, like, people just want to talk to me. They don't really want to pay me for talking to me is what I learned. But I also have been able to sharpen my skills in a sense. It's just like I'm emergency room. I'm not necessarily preventative care. So people come to me with their stuff stuff, like their heavy stuff, but not like with their everyday like, oh, maybe I should do something about this type of stuff. So I thought that was the gift, being able to hold space in like a non-judgmental, how can I help you kind of way. But I've learned that I can read people online. I guess that I'm, I know I'm an empath. I don't know what the phrase is, I just see, and I, I know I don't see everything, but I see some things. And that's been evident from every single conversation that I've had. There's this moment of, of my guest being uncomfortable, usually like nine times out of 10 out of, out of all the, the interviews I've done. And me having to just be quiet and let it be uncomfortable and not like console. And also, like, in asking the question, whatever that question happens to be, because it's uncomfortable to ask the question, because I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) That's the thing is, like, I don't know any of these women. I've met a handful of them in person, but not enough to say that I know them. I haven't had enough rapport or relationship with them enough to know them. There's something that I'm able to do. I think that anybody can do it. I don't know that it's really special, but it's it's like an intention. I have an intention of and a focus. There's something about focus and attention fully and wholly. And I don't know that people usually get that. I think that people are usually inside their head, trying to think of what to say, trying to not be uncomfortable or whatever whatever people are thinking about inside their faces while someone else is talking to them. I think part of them is distracted, but I typically don't do that. I'm typically all in. I'm listening to what you're saying and what you're not saying. There's a lot that people say online. There's a lot to how they say what they say, the words that people choose. As we know, words mean things. The words that we choose mean something. And then also the things that people don't say. So that's kind of how I piece together. It's not a process necessarily. I just take a look at what's online. So that's what I have learned from the podcast about myself is like this ability Because usually when I'm talking to these ladies after I've done my research, there's just something there. And there's something there in terms of like, I see something that maybe they don't normally talk about. 
or they don't say out loud or I don't know. Yeah, that. <laughs> so that's what I've learned from the podcast. Have there been any downsides? Um, I don't think so. I don't think there have been any downsides. Well, okay. So like being in this tender space that I'm in, in terms of like wanting connection and community and having these guests, the biggest downside for me, honestly, is like sometimes it's the first and only conversation I get to have with these women that are so fantastic and so fabulous. And everybody's just like busy doing their own thing. And like I've tried with a few to sustain the connection, but like it just doesn't work. And like I've experienced some just like walking away entirely, um, which is a bummer. So that that's definitely a downside for me. What is an unexpected joy? Maybe unexpected would be like I started the podcast and I had no idea that a conference and a creative services agency would develop in a rel- like within a year the ideas and it's been a joy to find more ways to connect and provide opportunities and platforms and so forth which podcasts inspire me um I listen to the read <laughs> and at first I didn't get it but then I really got it and I liked Kid Fury and Crystal's voices not like their literal voices, but um, the things that they talked about. Even the pop culture stuff. I'm not a pop culture kind of girl, but I don't know. I, I just really like the show. I also really, 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 really love The Secret Lives of Black Women, um, which unfortunately is not being produced anymore. But the episodes that they they did are divine. I also really love uh, Robin Tillotson's podcast. Um, it's for women over 50. This I do for me. Um, all of her guests are 50 and over. And I love hearing their stories. It's dope to talk to women like, I think guests are like late 20s into their 30s possibly touching 40, but um, to have like an older older perspective. Some, some guests have been in their 50s, I suppose, but like not the majority. So I really like, I really like Robin's podcast, Adelia's podcast, Miss Picky Girl Travels, hello, that is fire. Um, there's a lot of them, and I'm sorry if I don't mention yours specifically, Okay, so Miss Jess, thank you very much, Effia. Those were some really wonderful questions. Uh, Jess on Instagram said, what's your favorite thing about podcasting? Publishing the episode. <laughs> Maybe also the actual conversation. So the conversation and hitting publish, the rest of it, is just okay. The rest of it gets me to those two places. Um, but yeah, what's the most challenging? I think I talked about that one. Cinzy on Instagram says, tell us about the journey to getting here and your background, all the basics. I think I covered all of that. Adiz 
or a daze, a deeze, I think it is, on Instagram says, she'd like to know how I stay consistent. It's a promise that I made to myself. It's a decision that I made for myself to publish every single week, not in a capitalistic, flaky, surface kind of way, but just in a, a deeper owing something to myself kind of way. And it's been so gratifying and it has not jeopardized me to do so because it's been so enriching sitting every week to record, sitting again to edit and then hitting that publish and knowing that there are people actually listening. It's been, it's been really dope. That helps me to stay consistent. If I were experiencing some of the things that I experienced before where I felt like no one cared and no one was involved, then it would be much harder to be consistent. Shaw, my darling Shaw, says, hey, Wanda. She doesn't talk like that. Um, she says, hey, Wanda, I want to know more about you and your journey to start traveling. I think I covered that road trips, uh, Jamaica with my best friend, and then getting the fuck out. Um, Shar also asks what you like about traveling and what you don't. I love airplanes. I love being high up in the air. It's my favorite place in the entire world, being suspended in air. It's my favorite. I don't mind a bus trip if it's not cramped, which sometimes that's the case. <laughs> or freezing. Some of these buses are cold, y'all. Ew. I'll be so cold. I enjoy trains, too. That's cute. I like being in motion, I guess, is what you could say. I like trying the food of places, of course. There's something about being in motion that just helps me to think more clearly. Usually when I'm in a plane or on a train or whatever, even on a bus, I'll whip out my phone and just have like some really interesting to me thoughts. I like writing while I'm traveling. It's something like a perspective thing, I guess you could say. Uh, what don't I like? What don't I like about traveling? Immigration. <laughs> Especially in London. When I tell you, and they all but put a finger up my booty, over it. I've never been treated like that in my entire black-ass life. Hated it. It made me never want to go to London again. Maybe I should try another airport or try getting into the UK through another country. But immigration turns me the fuck off. What else don't I like about? I don't know. I don't, everything else is just part of the journey, par for the course, I think is the phrase. Just comes along with it. I guess immigration is part of that too, but I don't like them motherfuckers. And it just makes me nervous for no reason. Like I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing by entering a country. Ew. All right. Thank you for that, Shaw. Shaw. All right. So next we got Charlie off of Twitter. Charlie says, why is travel so central and important to you? Um, travel is liberating 
in ways that I don't think we talk about enough. Even leaving just your, the town you live in or your hometown, I just think about how many people don't leave their own hometowns or don't leave the city where they live. There's something about where you are and the routine you get in to where you're not exploring, you're not seeing different stuff, which means you're probably thinking the same thoughts. You're stuck in a cycle. There's something about travel that just like gets you out the paint, helps you to see different things, helps you to see the same things differently, different people, different customs. Um, That's why it's important because it's life-changing. It can be. I've seen people who travel who take it from a completely logical standpoint and they don't let where they are touch them. So it's entirely possible to travel and never go anywhere. But I like that potential. Um, That's why travel is so important to me. All right. Thank you, Charlie. So next we've got LV. And when I tell you, baby girl did a press release and posted it on Twitter. So I have this screenshot of what she posted. So here are her questions. She says, it would be nice to hear your responses to the questions you ask on the podcast. So I'll get to that. Uh, Who is the Wanda behind the podcast? The Wanda. So I think I covered most of that. It's kind of hard to cover all of it, but I think I got most of the good stuff in there. So the numbered questions are these. (laughs) Number one, what are some of your most memorable travel moments? Um, Ireland was really, really dope. There was this lake and I guess, uh, was it? I think it was Koh Lanta in Thailand. So both of these are related to sunsets. There were just these really magnificent sunsets that were very, very, very enjoyable in both locations. Uh, In Ireland, I was house-sitting, and there was just, like, um, this really cavernous house, and it had a wall entirely of glass that looked out on the lake, and... You know, you just see the sunset and the fog and the mist. And, like, it was just really a, a beautiful, a beautiful view. And the same in Colanta, I would take a walk on the beach uh, in the evenings around sunset and just, like, talk out loud to myself, which I love to do. I have to do it because there's just so much going on in my brain at any given time. And talking out loud helps me to, like, get it out. But, like, it was a spiritual experience to just talk to myself and see what kind of show the sky was going to put on that day. It was just so magnificent. And you never knew what was going to happen. Like, it could start off dull and, like, just blow your wig back in the next few moments Um, as the sky lit up in all these gorgeous colors or like it would just start off and you just be amazed in a a gape, mouth agape the whole time. So those are some of my most memorable. Okay, so number two is, is there anything in particular or moment you recall when the idea of the podcast came to you? What inspired it? So I think I covered that. It It was the group. 
I, I actually don't think I covered it. So what, what was happening in the digital nomad group, Facebook group was, you know, I would encourage people to introduce themselves and share. And maybe they would in like a little post, like as much as they were willing to type. But they, it wasn't deep enough for me. So then that's when I had the idea of the podcast. Um, and it took me maybe, it took me maybe six months from, from, from what I can remember. Cause usually when I have ideas about stuff, I write it down and I usually like uh, date and time my thoughts. So I think it was about six months from like, oh, maybe I should do a podcast and like create more community whatever, whatever. Um, Okay, number three is, how did you feel about starting the podcast journey? So I think I covered that it was more personal than it was logistics. Um, Four is, what have been the most enjoyable moments as well as some of the most challenging in terms of creating this platform? It has been enjoyable to have a conversation to look forward to regularly and challenging So I think I covered that. So I'll move on. (laughs) Um, Number five is where do you see the podcast going in the future? Yes, I did cover that. Uh, Number six is you're always uplifting others, whether it's encouragement, advice, or promoting others' work. Where does that come from? I just like know what it's like to be out here. Like I said, when I was in Atlanta doing my thing, I experienced people who were close to me, who knew I was trying to do stuff. I guess they didn't understand it, and they just never shared. They never liked. They never helped in any way, shape, or form. And so I guess it's that be-the-thing-you-want-to-see-in-the-world type mentality. Um, We all have our stuff, and we want eyes on it. And the only way to get eyes on it is to share it. So, yeah. That's that's really where that comes from. You took all this time and energy and you're really facing yourself in trying to put a piece of you out. And I know what it's like to not have any reception for that. And I examine myself like I've been thinking recently, like, how am I showing up for others? Um, How am I? how, How can I be more consistent? And so I've been thinking of ways to to be more of that because I don't think I'm doing the best that I can when it comes to that. I can be much more intentional about that. And also my own stuff. I don't show up for, I show up for my client more than I show up for myself, which is horrible. Like I have planned content calendars. Do I follow it? Mm -mm. Have I scheduled it? Mm -mm. So it's that as well. All right. So that was Twitter moving on to Facebook. D. Carey up in the house with the Travel and Shit podcast. Um, I also love her podcast. She says, tell us about performing and collabing with creatives abroad. Yeah, it was just like, you know, especially after a couple drinks, if there's a mic around, I'll find my way to it. <laughs> and then whoever is there, like, if they dig it, they dig it. And that's how I've met and worked with people and maybe gotten a little money or just maybe just have fun performing. Uh, Danielle Des says, how did you get your start and what's next on the horizon? 
So I think I've covered that. Thank you for your question, Danielle. Thank you for yours. D. Carey. Moving on to the group questions. So Adelia says, I'm surprised I don't know this, but how did the podcast come to be? So I, I think I got that. And she says, other things I want to know because I'm nosy. What would you do differently as far as moving abroad? I don't think I could do anything differently. Um, the next phase is like having a real home base. I'm in Malaysia because of the boo, not because it's a real home base. I want that. And I think, yeah, I just find myself wanting stuff now. I've lived out of the backpack. I've done that. And being here, I'm still transitional. I've not made myself fully comfortable here. I'm refusing to buy stuff. And that's the poor leaping out of me. <laughs> like, I don't want to buy it because it's going to be a waste of money because I'm leaving. But, yeah, um, past, I, I, don't, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I'm fine with schlepping a bag from country to country, but now it's baby's growing up. It's time for something different. Um, Adelia also asks, how did you come to be a digital nomad? So I think I covered that. I wanted to leave. I had my savings and then I've done whatever I can for money until I found something that could make me money consistently. And I'm even trying to move on from that, not move on, but like grow from that. Where do you see yourself in five years? Come on, interview question. <laughs> Where do I see myself in five years? Honey, we're going to have properties with community centers. We're going to be liaising with the local women's centers. We're fighting femicide. Uh, we're empowering women wherever black women are. We have our magazine, our TV show, this podcast. We have a whole bunch of assets. Um. We have communities where people are able to rent. We have the creative agency where you're able to travel to spots where we own properties and set up shop for a while and, you know, have your little co-working spots. I guess it's, not, it's like co-living, yeah. Have our little co-living spots like Empire. I want it all. So that's where I see myself in five years. Or thereabouts. <laughs> what contribution to the culture would you like to be remembered for? Empowering black women, period. In meaningful ways, in ways where black women are able to sustain themselves, where they're able to step more fully into themselves, where they're able to heal from all the crap and all the... Where they're able to heal from all the... All the... All the stuff... So that's the contribution. Thank you, Adelia, for your questions. Uh, Leanna Freeman says, what made you start a Black Women Travel podcast? And why did you want to focus on that group in particular? I think I answered that. Okay, please don't be upset with me. I hope I say your name. I hope I say everybody's name right. But I believe you pronounce it Ife. Or Ify. If, Ify or Ife. Madzamoya, she says, your whole story, like where are you from, where are your mama from? So I told you as much as I know about that. Um, what do you do for money and how do you make it all work, survive abroad where you are? Girl, I'm a black woman, 
we make it do what it do. So I, I've said I've done, I do social media management now. Um, and I just, I guess it's kind of the, kind of the like no plan B. I'm not going back. And if I do go back, I'm going back on my own terms. But that came from that Jamaica lesson. Like, you got to stick it out. You have to give yourself time to figure it out. And it's often ugly. But that's what it that's what it do. So that's how I do it. There's no other way but through, as the saying goes. My current location, I have divulged <laughs> that I'm booed up. That's why I'm still here living on the sun in the upside down. Um, are you thinking of leaving anytime soon? Where to next? I would love to. And I don't know where's next. I'm thinking of the continent or maybe the Caribbean. We'll see. Because, you know, I got a little Spanish up in here. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure, but we'll see. Where's on your travel bucket list? I don't really have a bucket list. Like literally anywhere outside of America is better. Even Vietnam and the anxiety that I experienced there was better than America. So, yeah, I don't really do bucket lists. But I'm open to experiencing different places. I think, okay, so... I did make a list of, like, places, you know, how it's just like, oh, I'd like to go there. And, like, you don't know nothing about the place, really. <laughs> but it's just like you have an idea that you are open to at least experiencing it. So Iceland is on that list and Cuba is on that list. Um, and I don't think I really have anywhere else in particular. But I've, I haven't been to anywhere in Africa and, like, that's just something that's going to be done. So, but yeah, those are two specific countries that I thought would be nifty to explore. Um, that would be like exotic and different. Cause I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, f I just feel like maybe the countries in Africa would, while of course would be new and different, I don't think they'll be exotic for me. I think that there'll be more of a sense of kinship and home, even though the cultures are completely different, completely different. And I'm sure there's a shit ton of patriarchy there. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it just wouldn't be too exotic in my mind anyway. Thank you for your questions. Um, Zaya asked what I do for a living, got that down. What's your dream destination? Just talked about that. Uh, I don't have one. What prompted you to go nomadic and digital? Sustainability, um, traveling and not being able to take my work with me is not what I wanted. So I needed to be able to do what I was gonna do online because I just wanted that freedom. Uh, where do you think the digital nomad movement is going? And what would be the role of black women in that? Um, black women are the best to do everything from eternity. So if any changes are really going to be made, it's going to come from black women. It's going to come from the most marginalized, 
the most marginalized are the only people in the world to push anything forward because we're the most uncomfortable. Where it's going, I'm not sure. I see some movements happening like uh, the Black Travel Alliance and stuff like that. So I don't know. Hopefully forward. <laughs> like that's pretty much all I can say. Thank you for your question, Zaya. Athena says, what is the biggest challenge with being a digital nomad? There are a lot of things you can do. And I don't know if you noticed, but I'm interested in a lot of things. So maybe the biggest challenge is trying to figure out what can work for you personally and being able to profit from that. Uh, the biggest benefit is freedom. Being able to choose how you spend your time, where you pour your energy. It's like life-changing. Instead of feeling like you have to do something or this is what you should do. Yeah. Being able to be more intentional and being, and, and being able to take it whatever direction you want to take it. That's really freeing as well and not having to have approval. Although, like, some people don't experience that because of where their minds are. And so they think they cater to a platform or an audience and they're chaining themselves again. Uh, thank you, Athena, for your question. Shannon Amos says, how have you supported yourself? I've covered that. She also says, have you found it difficult or easy to create a career abroad? Um, it's been challenging. I've covered that as well. Uh, but again, it's everything to do with me and how I want to show up and how people want me to show up and, you know, that cute little dance. Uh, L. Dean says, thank you, Shannon, for that. L. Dean says, how did you choose your podcast platform? Why a podcast versus a blog or a video platform? And future plans. Why a podcast? I'm not really sure why a podcast. I think I may have thought about video as well. Maybe I wanted a podcast because I wanted people to focus on the story. And with video, you have the visual aspect that can detract. So I, I just wanted people to hear the stories. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah. The future plans, like I've talked about that as well. Need to get some sponsors up in this motherfucker. Okay, Maya Ellen says, or is it Maya? I think it's Maya. Maya Ellen says, um, she wants to know how you came to travel, the circumstances that brought you back to the States, how you felt, how you were able to get back out there again how you've left your comfort zone. I find it so inspiring and relatable. Girl, girl, girl. <laughs> so it's like, it's really a decision, all of it. Every moment of every day, you choose, am I going to do this thing? Why am I doing this thing? Do I need to make a different choice? So giving myself permission to travel, leaving CNN, which for a lot of people is the height of their news career because 
it's nas- it's international versus like being at a local station where the benefits and the pay, I assume, aren't as good. I never worked at local, um, just like at the college level at my there was a an NPR station and a PBS station at my school. So I just, you know, worked there. But that was a decision. And it's this thing where it's like, am I going to stay here and do this or am I going to choose something else? And either way, you don't know, honestly. Security is very often an illusion. So it's a decision about what kind of effort you want to put into the life that you're living, if you want to create it consciously or if you want to do the easier things. So the decision to travel wasn't easy, but I made that. The decision to continue traveling wasn't easy, and I made that, and I went back to Atlanta. So you said the circumstances that brought me back. Um, That's what brought me back, feeding into my fears and that's what kept me there for for those years that I was there, working those low-paying jobs. Um, although State Farm paid pretty well, but that's because I was in sales. So I got commission off the sales. That little bit, they break you off. How How you felt. I was just, like, defeated. I was so... I was depressed. I was so defeated. This thing that I had tried to do, like, didn't work out. And it was, like, I had a storage unit with stuff in it that I was paying for. And I come back, and I don't have these relationships that I once had. Like, I got to see a different side of Atlanta because I wasn't living the life that I was living before. Uh, And it was, it was rough. It was really rough. And how I was able to get back out there. They're just, again, it's that decision. You come to the point where it's like, am I going to keep doing this? I could have stayed at State Farm. I could have kept going up to Dunwoody, you know, commuting and getting my little check. I had my little apartment, my Toyota Camry. It wasn't for me. And I owed myself more than that. It's just like at every single job that I've had, even this gig that I have right now, which that's a whole other story, you just see how underappreciated you are. You see how limited you are. You see how somebody else is ultimately making those decisions about the direction the business is going to go. Now, I do have a lot of freedom in what I do. That's because they're so busy with the other aspects of the business. They're not micromanaging me and if they did it's not something that I could do anyway I have complete freedom to decide what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and I have complete responsibility to see that vision through so I like that part of it Um, where they got me fucked up is they didn't say anything about the Black Lives Matter movement and so I subversively am now centering black people and black women (laughs) I'm going to find a way. And I don't know if they've caught on, but I don't care if they do. Because, I listen, that's the other thing about me. I'll leave. Leaving is what I'm used to. Staying is very difficult for me. 
And that's across the board. It's, it's difficult, don't get me wrong. But just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. We are not necessarily meant to live comfortable lives. If you're living comfortably, more than likely you're not challenging yourself to, to step up in a more full way. Not that you should be uncomfortable all the time. So I guess it's like striking that balance, right? But that's, that's essential. What decisions are you making that are keeping you where you are? What decisions can you make to give yourself a chance to operate differently, to see differently, to exist and live differently? Um... Yeah, that's something that often comes up. It's just like, but it's not easy. Like, things are supposed to be easy. No, it's not easy. But is what you're doing easy? Because I found walking into places where I could not bring my whole self, my whole self to be extremely difficult. I found it more difficult and more uncomfortable to stay where I was not being myself fully, where I was not seen fully, where I was not seeing myself fully. So thank you for that, Maya. I appreciate that. Question. Uh, F. Colette Lib. I think it's Lib. She says she want to know my blood type, my social security number. <laughs> she says, no, but seriously, what are your goals? What do you want to create for yourself and for us in the next year? Yeah, I've talked about that. Uh, I want us to have all the things that we deserve. I want us to have all the platforms that we deserve. I want us to have all the physical spaces that we deserve. I want us to have all the financial spaces that we deserve. Um, And however I can help implement those, I'm down because it's literally the only thing that matters to me. I'm not satisfied being here by myself, essentially. So yeah, I want us to have all of our things. And yeah. So thank you, everyone. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for being interested for asking these questions. And if you didn't get a full answer, then just hit me up again. It's not because I don't think your question is relevant. It may just because uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm t- I've been talking about myself for so long, for so long now. Okay, now we've entered the portion of the show where I answer some of my own questions. Uh, These are the questions I usually ask my guests on Le Podcast. Did you have support while figuring out what works for you in terms of travel and work? Hell to the no. Hell to the no. I did not. um, I supported myself, but that's very much I'm on brand with that because I've never felt like I could ask anybody else for support, uh, not to share an event, not to send money. Uh, I'm super, super, super uncomfortable asking anybody for anything to this day. It is something that I have to work on, particularly since 
there's this idea that particularly since I want people to be paid for their labor. Um, yeah. So, no, I did not have support. Like, there was one point where I had an older Mac MacBook, and she gave out, you know how they do. So she gave up the ghost, and I was, like, trying to work on this tablet that I had. And, of course, you know, like that. No, <laughs> that's not going to work. So I had to ask for money. So I um, I think it was around my birthday, too. Like, I asked for donations, like, on Facebook, which, gag. It was really gross. But I got the money that I needed to buy a secondhand little Dell laptop. So, you know, it worked out. Um, has being a black woman personally impacted how you work and travel? Uh, absolutely. And every since I have seen firsthand how I am treated versus someone who is more light skin um, than me while traveling. So my shade of black has personally impacted me. I've watched them like be ca be called, you know, like beautiful um, I had this Chinese lady tell me that, like, I was brown and I was not too dark. So, like, that was good. Um, I also think that maybe people leave me alone. So, like, some countries they talk about, like, scammers and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, I think it has impacted having my locks or having my afro that I have now, uh, you just kind of stick out, especially in Asia. But even when I was in Jamaica, like there's just something about our features that is decidedly different. So everybody knew I wasn't from there. You're among black people, but even black people know you're different before you even open your mouth. Um which can impact how they receive you. And then there's just, you know, me being me. So <laughs> there's that layer as well. But yes, being myself has, I've, I think I've had different experiences because everybody has a different tolerance, you know. Uh, depending on where you are and what you're going through at the time, how you show up, like, yeah. So I believe that it has impacted me in a specific way. Do I have hobbies or interests that aren't about making money? Honey, um, no, I do not. No, I don't. Do I have any hobbies? Is there something that I do just for me? I used to, when I was in Europe, I cooked quite a bit because it's pricey to eat out there, but the groceries are pretty affordable. And I, I even when I was in Atlanta had started messing around in the kitchen a little bit, like getting curious about creating some of the foods that I would see in restaurants. So like that was an interest of mine. Um, I quickly gave that up when I came to Asia, though, and mostly because like the food that I know how to make is expensive to eat here. And having a so I'm a vegetarian and like 
it's kind of meat focused here and it's also carb focused. Lots of rice, lots of rice, lots of noodles um, and meat. They don't really do vegetables here. There are vegetarian places. They do mock meat very, very well. So, so well, but it's only Indian and Chinese. Malay don't mess with vegetables or vegetarian food at all. Um, I mean, they do have a couple vegetables. And if you're vegan, the egg is out, but I'm not. So <laughs> they have like a nice little, they have a couple of egg-based dishes that are good. Cooking. And I don't do that anymore. I don't, naps. I'm interested in napping very much. I love napping, and that has nothing to do with money, but it kind of does because the more rested I am, then, all right, I won't get into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I just, I be on my laptop all the time. Have you faced challenges along the way? What's helped you to navigate them? I've talked about the challenges, but, like, navigating them, it's, it's, literally all about there's no way but through something that I used to say to myself is I haven't tried everything yet I've I feel like I've tried a lot of things but I have not tried everything and that was something that helped me to keep trying so hope hope is pretty much the only thing that will help anybody get anywhere I think if you don't have hope if you don't see the possibility of things being different than what they are right now, then it's very difficult to move forward, to move out of the funk or the undesirable place that you're in. Song, lyric, or a poem? Wow, how long have I known this was coming up and I still don't have anything? I listen to a lot of music, uh, a lot of music. So I have more musicians than I do a specific song. I love Stevie Wonder. I would love to sing with Stevie Wonder one day. I used to read a lot of poetry. I love Sonia Sanchez a lot, a lot. Aside from Stevie Wonder, I have a whole bunch of women. I recently got into Dorothy Ashby. There's a album called Hip Harp. She's a jazz musician and I just love her down. And I'm so happy I found her. Self-care practices. Part of my self-care practice is surrounding myself with black women. And I mean that on every possible level. There are a few resources that I have not been able to, that I have not been able to find a black woman who provides what I'm looking for. But I, that is, that is literally the way forward because we are the most imaginative and expressive and soul-talking people that I've ever met in my entire life. If anybody has said it, a Black woman has said it better. I, and I live by that. So some of, some specific things that I'm engaging with now is a bit of hypnotism. So trying to train my subconscious. If you have a Black woman hypnotist that specializes in subconscious mind training. I would love to have a reference for that because right now there's a white man in my ear and like he says it and I think it's working, but you know, values. <laughs> so I would love to replace him. I will happily replace him. So that's something that I've been doing. 
There's also sound bathing that I've recently engaged in. And I also am looking for a black woman for that. Um, but like it's chakra based sound bathing. So I really like that. Uh, it's a another white man on YouTube. What else for self-care? So I've been doing ancestor work lately, which I found very grounding, very connecting. And it's just super simple. Something else I don't like is sometimes the barrier to entry. Uh, we are often not well or not whole. And sometimes a price is a barrier to entry to getting that wholeness. And there aren't many resources that are accessible. And sometimes what you need is that accessibility in order to move into your next phase. Um, so for ancestor work, I've been able to piece together just like something simple that I've done for myself. And that is, I have a container of sand. So that represents the earth. I have a cup of water. I have tea lights um, and like this melty wax stuff that smells really good. So I light the tea light, I have the cup of water, I have the sand and I burn some incense, which I was gonna do anyway if we're keeping it three trillion. I love incense and I just talk to them. Um, I also have some meditations that I've been developing and I'm excited to get those out to y'all as well because again, accessibility. And I also hope to turn a coin because I respect myself and I also need to make money. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to have a price tag on some of those as well. But yes, that has been super, super, super grounding. Being able to have those conversations and do some healing work around that. And I was telling somebody, I'm not really sure if any of this is real. So this is also something that I've gone through while traveling is my relationship with God. So I grew up extremely religious. Um, and you know, that whole religious spirituality thing. I was not nourished in that environment. It was not about the people. It was about the practice for them. And that wasn't enough for me. So... My relationship with God was, and maybe is, affected by that, which that's kind of my thought about any religion, really, is that people mess it up. Maybe it's not the idea of God themselves, but more about how people perhaps don't embody the values that come with the religions that they're supposed to be practicing. And culture has a lot to do with that as well. So... I was just like, does God exist? Is there anybody out there that actually cares about us? And of course, that's extremely destabilizing. And that's not necessarily the route I would suggest for you. Uh, because it is very spiral. It can incite you to spiraling. <laughs> I don't think I, I spiraled, but it was very, I felt very lonely thinking that no one cared about me. And also like, who are you? to think that God would leave you out of like all these people in the world. Like, cause that's how I was feeling. Girl, I done made myself the Christ. Why have you forsaken me? 
Yeah, the ancestor work has been mostly about gratitude and my work around my, I guess, I think Vangile calls it like a God wound. I think she coined that. But that phrase comes to mind, my God wound, um, doing work around that. Because, so what I figured is whether this stuff technically works or not, the idea of it is calming. The idea of it is soothing. The idea of connection is fortifying. And if you're going to be alive, you need that. So I don't know that it's religion necessarily. I don't even know that it's spirituality necessarily. But what it is, is the idea that that you matter, that your existence matters, and that you are cared for, that you are supported, that you are connected. Because without that, you're untethered and dangerous to yourself and others, honestly. So I don't know what you gotta do to create that in your life. I don't know what that looks like for you, and that may change over time as well. But being centered in yourself and understanding that you are connected, that other people are impacted by you, uh, that's a big concept. And I don't know that everybody has that or is, I don't know that everyone is meaningfully attached to that Again, because I think that trauma or culture or whatever it is kind of keeps people inside their own process and stuck inside their own head. So those practices help keep me grounded. My newfound ancestor practice, my sound bathing, my hypnosis, subconscious mind work. Uh, I find those things incredibly grounding. And also the work that I'm doing, I find incredibly grounding. Um, being able to pour myself into something that I care about is something that's extremely important to me. And without that, because like I was traveling and I wasn't satisfied, not really. Not until I was able to have a project that meant something to me, that really meant something to me that I deeply cared about um, have I felt satisfied? So like not even the tra not even the traveling satiated that. So um, how do I like to explore a new place? I dig. I try to go places where there's a beach. So I gotta get my feet in some sand. I also, of course, love food. I love tea. I love tea. I love 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 tea. So what kind of tea does this place have? Um, and people, when possible, if I'm not travel fatigued. I do like speaking with locals and like seeing whose land we're on, seeing how people view the land that they're on, if they really think it's theirs or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, how do I like to celebrate food? I do like to celebrate through food. But yeah, I like I do celebrate myself which that's ultimately the most important. Uh, I love celebrating whatever milestones I can, do a little dance, sing a little song, eat a little food. That's my celebration.
And my very last question for myself, how can listeners support my work? Hey, hey girl, these are the ways. Number one, you can rate and review the podcast. That's free. So if you have an iTunes or a Stitcher account or you want to create one for the kid, go through the trouble. I'd really appreciate it. Tell me how you feel about the guests, about the format, about what you hear. I would love that so very much. So that's number one. Number two, if you would like to make a regular monthly donation for the podcast, I would love to be able to consistently afford to increase the production value. Uh, So I have a Patreon that's set up and I have been remiss. There are four patrons Yes, you can be a regular monthly contributor. I would love to have you do that. The third way is if you're looking for a job, holler at us, creative services agency, focusing on social media management and life, business, and financial coaching. I'm still pulling everything together, obviously, so it's still the beginning stages. So if you're down for a ride, holler at the kid. I'd love to welcome you to the team that's still forming and gelling and all that good stuff. So in regards to the International Black Women Travel Jubilee, I have finally made my move. We are going to do a virtual event. It's called Rally and Rejoice. So I'm trying to make it a little bit different and not keep you on your laptop all week long. I want to make these bite-sized and accessible and informative. So it's going to be from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sundays, September 6th, 13th, and 20th. So leave a space open for that. Still solidifying the schedule, but just, yeah, have your peepers opened for that. But it is all the content's going to be geared towards helping you to level up and creating a space to have community discussion so we could just like chop it up. So there'll be three hours of information and then about 45 minutes of us just being able to talk about what we're learning and how we want to implement the information in our lives and talk about whatever's going on, whatever people feel comfortable talking about. So it is specifically for Black women, travel content creators, and digital nomads. So we're staying on brand with that. So just be on the lookout for that. And I'll have more information as more of the details are solidified. Rally and Rejoice, Sundays, September 6th, 13th, and 20th. And the time will be 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. It would be great uh, if you would talk about these things. If you would take a moment out of your day to share a podcast episode um, share about the effort of the Creative Services Agency, share about the conference, share about the digital nomad group, and just say, hey, this is something I'm a part of, or this is something I heard about, and I want to help spread the word. So, yeah, it'd be great if you could help spread the word. Um, and that's it. So I'm going to thank myself. <laughs> Uh, Thank you, Wanda, so much for your time and your energy today. I really appreciate you being so honest and open and giving the girls what they asked for, hopefully. 
for making the time. I appreciate you making the time for this conversation. You're welcome, Wanda. It was my pleasure. It was an honor. And this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. (laughs) I'm tired now. Now I'm going to stop talking. But thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I appreciate you now going forth to share whatever you're able to share of this budding empire. And I can't wait to see you online. And I really can't wait to see you in person. So you take good care of yourself and I'll see you soon. Ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum.